Hi, my name is Alejandro Pérez Pérez and this is the AI Coffee Podcast. Every week we will have one episode regarding one disruptive aspect of technologies for the time to drink a cup of coffee. Today we have Oscar Corcho in the AI Coffee podcast. He is one of the main teachers of the master I am studying and it's an honor to have him here. So before we start, I will present him. He did a bachelor's degree in informatics. He was the first of his promotion. Also, he did a master's degree in software engineering and then a PhD in artificial intelligence in Universidad Politecnica de Madrid. Then, regarding his experience, he's a professor, a director of research in the Ontology Engineering Group in the Universidad Politécnica de Madrid. And as I mentioned before, he's one of the main teachers and the academic director in the AI for Gov Master and also many more things that we will discuss during the, the podcast. So welcome, Oscar. It's a pleasure having you here. How are you? Thanks. It's really a pleasure to be also with you. I mean, like, and having the opportunity to discuss a little bit about all the things that we are doing. And I mean, any of the recent advances that uh, we can see now in artificial intelligence. So, I mean, it's a real pleasure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. So I have one question to start the conversation. We will talk a lot about ontology. Uh, I said already that you are like one of the academic directors of your group of research of ontologies. Maybe we can start talking about ontologies, what they are, and why did you decide to focus your career study them? Yeah, that was, in fact, I mean, a decision that I made almost 20 years ago, yeah? And um, uh, how could I define the, what an ontology is? Basically, I mean, like, for me, in very simple terms, an ontology is a model of the world. I mean, like an artifact that we are using in order to describe things in the world, yeah, that we are using. Uh, that is consensuated, that uh, is shared across several people in a community. Just to give you an example, if uh, we think uh, about the medical domain, yeah, one, one of the many domains where, where ontologies are being used, an ontology, for instance, would be the instrument that we would be using in order to describe diseases, drugs, treatments, all those things that are related to the medical domain. And of course, I mean, we all agree that uh, we need to have consensus, yeah? We, we need to use the same terms to refer to the same disease or the same drug in order to be able, yeah, I mean, to look for them in documents or to use them for whatever other purpose. So this is an ontology, yeah? I mean, an artifact that we create to describe a domain and where we spend a lot of time reaching consensus. It's like a dictionary, let's say, but with all of these consensus that you are talking about, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, there is no ontology if there is no consensus. And in fact, I mean, whenever I tell people how much an ontology costs, because I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I'm building them for many organizations, yeah, international organizations, private and public organizations, institutions, and so on. Uh, whenever I tell them, okay, I mean, this is the cost, a large part of the cost is actually like making sure that we all agree on the definitions that we are providing. We all agree on the relationships between the concepts, yeah. And uh, I mean, this is time consuming, but it's a super nice, yeah, because you really enjoy this process of talking, uh, deciding, agreeing. Uh, it's a little bit like politics, yeah, but I mean, like uh, in the sense of trying to represent the domain. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And why did you decide it? like to focus your career after studying artificial intelligence, informatics and software engineering? Why into this direction and not another one? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult to say sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's a little bit of... Uh, 
I would say luck or just uh, by chance. Yeah. I mean, you get to know people who are working in this area and then, I mean, you get really uh, to, to enjoy yeah, uh, working on it. But I mean, I, I can really say, I mean, but by the time when I started working on this area, I mean, just before uh, year 2000, ontologies were really like a very hot topic in the context of AI research. There are two main areas of AI, of artificial intelligence. I mean, like the, the symbolic one, the knowledge representation one, and the sub-symbolic machine learning uh, one, yeah? And this one belongs to the symbolic one. And I really liked the idea of representing knowledge, trying to make a reasoning with the knowledge that we were representing. And in fact, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I have been working for 20 years, and I, I, I think that there is still a lot of work to be done, yeah, in, in the coming years. Mm -hmm. Amazing. It feels like you are passionate with this with this topic. Yeah, yeah, we can see it. <laughs> Definitely. And Oscar, can you provide some examples in like real life, what ontology is and the applications for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can probably talk about um, some of the ontologies that we are working on now. Yeah, I mean, just to give you a few examples. I don't know whether they are the best ones or, or not, but they're in different domains. So, I mean, like we can probably learn uh, about the different situations in this context. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, for instance, we are, we are doing um, since um, last year. So it has been for already for one year. Uh, we have been working with the European Agency for Railways in, uh, in Europe. This is the institution that is taking care of uh, maintaining all the data that is being provided by every member state, every country uh, in Europe about the railway infrastructure, the tracks, the stations, uh, all, all these things, the vehicles yeah, that can go, I mean, the trains and so on. Part of the team who is building uh, the ontology for this uh, organization We are basically describing all the properties that tracks can have, all the properties that stations and other operational points can have, how they are related to each other. And uh, we are homogenizing, uh, that's the key term that we can use over there, we are homogenizing the way in which everything is represented. Yeah. So uh, before, every single country would represent the data in many different manners. Uh, but now, thanks to, to this work that we are doing uh, on ontology development, a slow but steady, uh, what we are obtaining is uh, the possibility really of uh, interoperating across countries. Now we can check a, a route from, I don't know, I mean, from Spain to Estonia, if we, if we wanted, I mean, just a really long route, and we can check uh, what's going on and all the characteristics over there. This is just one example, yeah? Um, I, I can obviously talk about uh, many others, I mean, if you want. So, for instance, I mean, like uh, something that we did also uh, relatively recently was working uh, with, um, uh, with a company that is providing uh, data centers. Basically, they wanted to describe all the elements uh, that they have in a data center. I mean, like from the uh, machines, yeah? I mean, you can imagine, I mean, when, when you see these typical photos, yeah, of a data center with lots of computers, lots of lights, yeah, and going on and uh, lots of cables. So from the bare metal that you have over there, yeah, I mean, like the, the machines to the servers that they have installed over there, the operating systems, the network infrastructure, the microservices that are being built on top and so on, yeah? So... Uh, in, in this work, uh, together with a company yeah, uh, who wanted to have this open also for others to use, we were describing all these components, how they are related to each other, with the main intention of generating a chatbot afterwards that could be used by the what it is called the site reliability engineers, yeah, the people who are taking care that everything in the data center works, uh, so as to identify the root cause uh, of an error. Yeah? I mean, whenever there is an error, a microservice stops working, 
uh, where could it be the problem? Uh, is in the machine? Is in the servers? Is anywhere else? And uh, we were also using an ontology for this purpose, yeah, just to homogenize all the data that they had. So these are just two examples. Yeah, I could talk for ages, yeah, for hours on, on many different types of examples. <laughs> I think they are really uh, meaningful because, for example, the one you said about the trains, actually, mm -hmm. I remember that you explained that in one lesson, I think so. Yes. It's really, I think, really clear because even, I mean, inside that one country, there is not sometimes interoperability among different types of uh, trains. And we see that in Spain, that they're like, why trains? I don't know the term in English, but yeah. why trains? Or they're like are uh, tired and they're not sometimes interoperable. And also, I mean, for example, the ticketing system, sometimes it's not connected though. So, I mean, working on this interoperability, it's a really great effort, but at the end of the day, it's really like making life more simple, right? Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, interoperability is the key term that can be used in that context. Yeah, I mean, like, in, in fact, I mean, we normally talk about semantic interoperability. I mean, this is where, where ontologies are being used. In this case of trains, in fact, I mean, not too long ago, uh, we had a situation in Spain, in fact, uh, I mean, that a part of the infrastructure uh, with tunnels didn't have the, the height of the tunnel, yeah? So there were some trains that were being bought, and I mean, the trains would never go through the tunnel because they were bigger, yeah, than what it could be expected. And we were checking the, the actual data that we had, and in that case, I mean, we realized that the infrastructure provider in Spain didn't have that data, yeah, in included in the database. So, I mean, that was a good reason to say, hey, look, I mean, uh, you are missing this data, and it's in other countries, so you should spend your time and you shouldn't have spent this money. <laughs> on trying to buy some trades that did not work. <laughs> yes, sometimes it's even cheaper to make this effort before <laughs> exactly. to develop whatever. Yeah, 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 I agree. Mm -hmm. And how do you think that these ontologies uh, you mentioned or others that you are working on can help to bridge the gap between the way that humans and machines understand the world? I think, I mean, to some extent, uh, and again, I mean, we can just uh, find a very clear analogy. Uh, when humans are talking to each other, yeah, just imagine a conversation that you have with a colleague, could be working or maybe working on the same topics as you or on different topics. In many cases, I mean, like um, what you do at the very beginning of the conversation is to agree on the terms, yeah, to describe or define the terms that you are using, yeah? Uh, if you are using the term, I don't know, model, you have to explain what model means. It's not the same for a physicist than for somebody who is doing machine learning that for somebody who is, I don't know, I mean, like in a completely different topic. So I think, I mean, that uh, this type of agreements that we normally do when we are humans and we are talking and we are having a conversation or we, we are arguing or discussing about something are the same as uh, the ones that we would do with uh, systems or in the bridge between humans and systems. Yeah, uh, You really have to understand what the meaning is of all those terms that you use. They could be in a formal language or they could be natural language. And uh, ontologies can help over there, yeah? I mean, and uh, we, we are seeing now, I mean, with the emergence of language models and, and things alike, that they are somehow capturing, yeah, a little bit of the semantics. I mean, and having it more, much more clear, having very clear definitions would be very useful for that purpose. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true that, for example, if we talk about generative AI, that now it's really, really popular. <laughs> yes. I mean, if we don't provide the machine or the generative AI, the idea of what, I don't know, house is, for instance, how can this generative AI provide an AI design or whatever? It's impossible because they don't have the concept of house. And mm -hmm. also what I think it's really interesting is like the relations among things, because I mean, the definition is easy, like what a house is. Okay. But 
what uh, I don't know a sofa is like related to the house is something inside the house and the connections about the words and the concepts are really difficult and to explain in this to a machine it should be really a lot of work right Exactly. And I think that that's one of the key elements of all this structuring of the data that we do, structuring of the models uh, that we are trying to do. I mean, like, uh, to some extent, what we are trying to do is connect all those concepts, all those relations, uh, as you say, saying that the sofa will be inside a, a house or inside an office, and that the sofa is close to a table because it's normally placed in the same place, and the sofa is used for sitting down, yeah? So obviously, I mean, you can just get that uh, from analyzing texts, yeah, as it has been done in these language models and by these generative AI uh, techniques. Uh, but in the end, I mean, like what they are capturing is the latent semantics inside the texts that we are using. And I mean, like the role of an ontologist, and in fact, I mean, like uh, there is like an active uh, research right now on the connection between language models and ontologies and so on. Uh, the role of ontologists is actually like making sure that everything is precisely defined, which is where, I mean, you spend some time, but uh, it, it pays off in the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I get your point. Yeah. And mm -hmm. actually, Oscar, talking about ethics, do you think we need to consider ethical considerations into the development of ontologies? Because, I mean, we're talking about knowledge and this is, let's say, an ethical or philosophical point of research of knowledge. So uh, how can we apply or be sure that what we are providing is ethical enough? Mm -hmm. To some extent over here, I mean, like uh, there may be two answers to this question. Yeah, One very obvious answer very simple could be, well, I mean, like ethics are not relevant in this context. Yeah? I'm just describing a domain. I'm describing the relationships between the concepts uh, that you have over there. And in fact, I mean, I'm not doing any harm. I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, according to the, for instance, the EU regulation yeah, that talks a lot about the ethics and so on. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not really doing anything that is complex. Yeah, I mean, that is difficult uh, to handle. Uh, that could be a very naive answer. Still, I mean, somehow valid for many of the ontologies that are being built, yeah? Uh, but uh, as in any other system, as in any other AI system, uh, this doesn't mean that we don't have to consider ethics. Yeah? I mean, we have to consider it. Uh, it could be the case after we make an analysis, we realize that, I mean, there is no major harm there that can be done. However, as in any other AI system, uh, the ontology is not just done uh, for the sake of building that artifact, building that ontology, is done for the sake of achieving interoperability, uh, achieving homogenization, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, over here, we could start falling into a situation where we have to pay a little bit more attention to ethics. Yeah? So, for instance, just imagine that I'm uh, developing ontologies to describe things related to a city. Yeah, This is an area where I have been working quite a lot with many cities uh, in Spain and worldwide. And uh, then, I mean, like uh, in the representation, in the attributes that you use in order to describe, for instance, the persons that live in a city, uh, then you start including elements that could introduce some bias afterwards. Yeah, I mean, like uh, uh, that, obviously, I mean, like if you are not paying a lot of attention to that, uh, you may do it without um, thinking of any harm in the future. But in the end, I mean, it could generate some problems, yeah, that uh, you, you have to take into account. So... I think, I mean, it's, it's quite important to consider ethics everywhere. I mean, in all the system development, AI or not, yeah? Okay. But in this very specific case, is yet another AI technique. So, I mean, yeah, it has to be considered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Great to know. And of course, I mean, for example, if we talk about trains, it's maybe not so clear that bias is there. I don't know. You will tell. But maybe if we talk <laughs> about cities, yes, maybe it's another topic because cities are related to humans living there. And, and it's also the point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But even with trains, I mean, there, there are implications on what you write. Yeah. So, for instance, again, I mean, in the case that we were discussing, one of the applications that our ontology, the ontologies that we are building, yeah, and the, the knowledge graphs that are behind them, One of the applications that they are being used for is to identify whether a train can go through a track, having like a certificate, yeah, okay, uh, this train is safe, yeah, I mean, it can go through here. So just imagine, I mean, we never want to talk about these things, but I mean, if there is an accident, yeah, that is related to errors in the data, errors in the modeling of the ontology, yeah, you have not done it properly or something alike, then, well, I mean, there are implications, yeah, uh, things that we always have to consider, yeah, when we are putting systems to work in things that we are doing as humans as well yeah mm -hmm. so ethics are everywhere yeah <laughs> everywhere yeah definitely everywhere. <laughs> okay so talking about explainable ai which is a really mm -hmm. big topic i think that uh, we are starting talking a little bit now but i think that's a really big debate for this decade to guarantee mm -hmm. that the ai models that we are providing the society are explainable enough like are they transparent enough can we see what's behind them how they arrive to this modelization this output So I think ontologies, as you said, that they're like the way that knowledge is explained and the relations among all the concepts. Do you think that ontologies could play a significant role in the development of this explainable AI? So um, I could go very technical, very deep into this uh, specific topic because um, one year ago, I mean, I was uh, specifically working some uh, master students and a PhD student on this area, this intersection between uh, machine learning techniques and ontologies, yeah? So, I mean, in many cases, we know, I mean, some machine learning techniques are more difficult to explain and, I mean, they provide good results, but we have to explain them later. And then we could use specific techniques based on ontologies in order to guide the explanation, yeah, because of the characteristics that they have. In fact, I mean, like uh, just a couple of weeks ago, one of my PhD students working in this area defended uh, his PhD thesis on the topic of explainable AI in general. And uh, he was applying ontologies in some of the techniques uh, that he was proposing. Basically, the main idea is if you have a model that you have derived yeah, with um, any type of machine learning technique, you have the features, yeah? you have the attributes yeah? that you have been using to train the model. And then, I mean, like the model is going to add yeah? on the attribute, on the data that you are providing according to the attributes that you have decided. Then you could use ontologies in order to describe those attributes. Say, oh, okay, you are talking about vehicles. Yeah? Well, one of the things that we were doing was vehicle fuel consumption. Mm -hmm. So you are talking about vehicles. These are some of the parameters that you consider whenever you are checking the fuel consumption of a fleet of vehicles. Yeah? These are the studies yeah, that everybody knows. The uh, makers yeah, of the cars, I mean, they give you some indications. But then the model is telling you something yeah, with the real data. Well, I mean, why don't you use ontologies built on the information that we have from the vehicle manufacturers and so on in order to see whether they match. If they match, I mean, the expectations that you have are similar to the ones that are being provided by the machine learning technique, then you can already explain things. And at the same time, you're saying, oh, this looks consistent. So yeah, these are some of the techniques uh, that, that can be used in that sense. And I mean, I could go into further, very tiny uh, details on every single technique that could be used, some of the things that we can find on the state of the art. But I mean, you can just get an idea yeah, that uh, these are artifacts that we, you can use for explaining better. 
Mm-hmm. I would say that if people are interested on that, uh, they can directly contact you. Maybe we will say it at the end mm-hmm. of the podcast uh, more details. But also, if they want to, they can join the master for next year or another mm-hmm. master. I mean, in the future, and there are like plenty of knowledge about that. So yeah, yeah, we will be happy. Yeah, to <laughs> and I will be happy to answer questions as well in this context. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Oscar, we have talked about actually careers. You mentioned the PhD students that you are mentoring. So can you give an advice to a person that could be interested in pursuing a career in AI nowadays, but this person maybe is a little bit lost? Because to be honest, for example, I mean, I see myself that now with ChatGPT and all the models and all the tools appearing, <laughs> it's like uh, an anxiety that produced to me because I like many, many things that are really interested, but it's like really easy to get lost with all of these. So are you able to give an advice to people, to audience? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I, I'm giving this type of advice to many students every single year yeah, in, the, in this context. And it is true. What you are saying is very true. The fact that the rhythm of advances that we are seeing nowadays uh, is really dramatic. I mean, uh, I could just look like a very old person talking about, oh, this happened 20 years ago. I mean, like, uh, just saying, well, 20 years ago, we were only like uh, reading papers three times a year, more or less. Why? Because, I mean, there were three main conferences that we were going, all the papers were coming together, and then you had the opportunity to read them all together, yeah? Nowadays, every single day, there is a new paper, a new advance, a new thing that, I mean, would make you anxious, yeah? When you are a PhD student, you are a researcher, yeah? I mean, also also a senior researcher, yeah? Uh, You really have to concentrate on advancing the state of the art on the topics that, I mean, you consider that are useful, that uh, are going to have an impact, yeah? But you cannot cover everything that has been done. I mean, you cannot compete, yeah, as one person or as a reduced group of persons uh, with, uh, I mean, a company that has 200 employees that are working specifically on that. Yeah? This does not mean that your research is going to be less valuable. Every piece of research can be valuable, but you have to find the real niche uh, where the advances can be done, where you don't have such big dependencies on, I mean, which are the latest advances from tomorrow and uh, from the day after tomorrow and so on. And where you can actually like have a very clear view on what are the research hypotheses that you are trying to cover, which are the research questions that you are trying to answer, and uh, what is the methodology that you are going to be using. Yeah, I mean, like uh, part of the research is also understanding the research methodology to use. So not getting anxious. Yeah, this happens to many of my PhD students. I have to talk to them every now and then. I mean, like every couple of months, we have to have a conversation like this one. But I mean, like there are always topics that can be, I mean, identified where you can contribute and it is very easy to contribute on those ones. I mean, if you are uh, using the right tools. Yeah? That's my piece of advice on this. <laughs> yeah, to get focus. Although playing with the new things is always fun. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we all do. Yeah? I mean, like uh, using now ChatGPT for everything just to see how it reacts. I mean, I, I'm even doing it for my ontology engineering exercises. And I mean, we are checking how it could be a companion yeah, for ontology engineering. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting this point to try to test, to play with and to have in mind. But yeah, it's interesting also to have the idea of we need to get focused on something and to continue working on that and to have the approach that everything is valuable. We only need to continue working and thinking and researching. But yeah, it's impossible to compete with OpenAI, for example. It is like Mm -hmm. a huge company with thousands of billions Mm -hmm. of dollars and euros. So, I mean, they have a lot of uh, budget and knowledge and people that, I mean, it's impossible to compete with them, but it's interesting to see them somehow, what they are doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) 
And one more question. Can you discuss any notable successes or challenges that you face in your career so far? Oof, that's a difficult question. Yeah. I mean, like uh, challenges. Yeah. I mean, you always have interesting challenges yeah, in your career. I mean, when you are advancing, I mean, and you are moving towards new things yeah, that you are trying to do. Uh, we were talking about the AI for Godmaster. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's say my latest babies <laughs> in the context of my career. I mean, like uh, it, it was a big challenge yeah, to try to set up a, a master that was not just a traditional data science master. Yeah, It was not a traditional master for data scientists who want to go into depth in all the techniques. I mean, we are doing this. I mean, I'm part of the teaching team uh, at UPAM on a couple of masters on AI and data science. I mean, where we are training computer scientists to work on this. But I think, that, I mean, like the, for the context of the AI for Job Master, for instance, it was a real challenge to try to combine the service design perspective that we have with the AI techniques and being at the level where both people with a little bit of expertise on computer science, data science, and so on, and also people who had never seen it can actually follow, yeah? And it's always a challenge, yeah? It's uh, every single year, I mean, we are having this challenge and we are trying to overcome them. That has been one of my recent challenges, I would say. I mean, but I could also talk uh, about many other things yeah, that, that I have also done. Mm. That's true that this is a big challenge because, as you mentioned, we come from different backgrounds and to work together and create something from zero, because sometimes it's what we do in, when we are providing a new service, let's say, in the project. So it's a hard thing, but useful. At the mm -hmm. end of the master, I think it's going to be useful for us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Oscar, we are finishing. I have only two more questions. The first one is the one I always ask to all the guests in this podcast is, how do you like coffee? And the other one is, how may the audience contact you? Okay, perfect. I mean, my coffee is uh, usually either a solo, and very little one. I mean, I really like the little ones. No sugar at all. Yeah, that's uh, very important. I mean, I really like uh, the taste of coffee. Uh, as it is done, and it has to be just made. That's for me, I mean, like the three main ingredients here yeah, that I have to have for my coffee. That's the one. And how can people contact me? Well, uh, it's quite easy. I mean, if you look for Oscar Corcho on the web, uh, a nice thing of having a surname that is not very typical, yeah, is uh, that you can find me quite easily, yeah? So you will be able to find me. Uh, you can also contact me at oscar.porcho at upm.es. Yeah, that's uh, my email address. I mean, I'm usually trying to keep my inbox uh, up to date. Yeah, I mean, and no matter who makes a question to me, I mean, I will try to answer uh, as soon as I can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. I will put all of the links of your mail and everything as part of the notes of the episode. So yeah, it's going to be easy for everyone that wants to know more about this fantastic world of ontologies and knowledge graphs and uh, everything we have said and during the conversation. Yeah. So Good. thank you very much, Oscar. It was a really fruitful conversation, a really inspiring one. I hope that also for the audience and yeah, it was a pleasure. Okay. Thanks a lot, Alejandro, for this uh, opportunity to talk uh, in your podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for being here one more week. If you liked it, please subscribe to the podcast and to the newsletter in alejandroperezperez.com. Please share both with your friends and relatives and don't forget to give me five stars in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next week. Bye-bye.